ahead and grab out your Bible, something to take some notes with. If we are, if you haven't already, come on, you just know to have your notes out, everybody. If you want to download the Victory app, got a fill-in-the-blank version of all the notes there as well. Uh, we're going to be kind of moving through several scriptures today. Last week we didn't get out till like five in the afternoon, so we're going to we're going to do a little bit better this week about our time. But we're in part two of a series called Always Remember. I'm excited to jump into part two. Last weekend in chapter one, we saw where Paul told Timothy, "Fan into flame the gift that you have received." And so Paul is writing to Timothy in this letter and he's saying, fan into flame this gift that you received, these spiritual giftings that you have when I laid my hands on you. We learned last week in part one that we cannot do this life without the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he has given us to accomplish what he wants us to do for the kingdom. We cannot live our lives without it. If we want to be followers of Christ, we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. We learned that last week about how you have a gifting. How God has enabled us. We, it's our responsibility to fan into flame that gift. To use it to impact the world around us. And then we saw how this is Paul's last letter that he writes on planet earth. That very, very shortly after he writes 2 Timothy. Paul's pen goes silent for all eternity. That this is the last moment that he is pouring in. What a sobering thought. That this giant of the faith. This incredible leader in the church. Is pouring his passion into this letter to Timothy. And as he knows that he's about to die, as he knows the end to his race has come, he's imploring Timothy and he's pouring into him and saying how he should keep the local church alive and what he needs to do in order to continue to minister to those that he is over, in order to keep this thing called the church going. And so he's telling Timothy, fan into flame this gifting that you have. And then we focused on verse 7. Where he said, you need to fan into flame because of the backdrop of this time period. And then he says, but you need to do it because you have not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. But he's saying, Timothy, I know that you have all of this, this panicked people and chaos around you, but it hasn't a spirit of fear that you've been given. And we saw that the backdrop of this letter of 2 Timothy is incredible persecution of the church. That Paul is in chains, and he's actually in Rome in chains under Emperor Nero, where there's incredible persecution, demented persecution, breaking out against the church. That Nero is beginning to blame the Christians for the fires that he likely set in Rome. And so all of this is happening. And so one of the worst giftings in terms of your safety and peace that you could have is what Timothy had. This idea that he had the gift to spread the gospel. That each one of us are called to do as well. So Paul is like, you have this gifting, you need to stir it. Even the persecution that's coming, still stir up the gifts. Still do it because you have not been given a spirit of fear. You can't be intimidated, Timothy. But a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. You missed last weekend, you can go online, check out verse 1. Today we get to jump into chapter 2. Chapter 2, he kind of prepares him for the evil that he is going to face. And he prepares him then for the mission that he's supposed to be accomplishing. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But he kind of prepares him for the call that you and I share as well, this idea of impacting the world for the gospel. And so as he walks him through this, he calls him to what we are called to this, reminds him of the mission that he has. So verse one, stir up the gifts. Chapter two, he begins to remind him of the mission he has to accomplish. And we're going to cover really verses one through 10, but I'm going to come at it almost in a reverse way. And you'll see this will make a little more sense because I want you to see where Paul is headed. And then I want you to see how he gets there step by step. So as we go through chapter two and buckle up, everybody, because chapter two is a little bit confrontational. And so I am just begging you, do not shoot the messenger because of the message. All right. That's just my if we can just talk a little personally right now, because I am not here to be your friend this morning. I am here to be your pastor. 
And so it gets a little bit... Yeah, yeah, clap for me now. You won't clap for me in a few minutes, all right? Yeah, let's go ahead and, and be friends right now. Because listen to me, Paul confronts Timothy in a couple of different ways. And as we go through this series of Always Remember, these different weeks of these things he's telling him, this one, this week, I really believe the Holy Spirit's going to convict some of us in a few areas of our lives. Going to convict our hearts in a few areas of this as well. But that's how we grow. Amen, everybody? That is how. So y'all ready to grow a little bit together? So grow, grab out your Bibles. Verse 8, he talks to Timothy. And he says, always remember. Say that with me. Let's get awake a little bit. Always remember. One more time like you can read. Always remember. What, is, what should we always remember? That Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. Always remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. Always remember the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. It's important to revisit that fact as Christians. Because I think too often times it's easy to get distracted by all of the other different things that is a part of the Christian life and following in the church and all the things that we do in our own. It's important to revisit. He says, always remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. This is what Christianity is all about. This is why we are followers of this is why this whole thing happens, because Jesus was raised. that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. This is what the church was meant to be. It it was never meant to be an institution was never meant to be a building or a set of buildings We're never meant to be a specific belief thing that we would try to do. This whole thing is literally a movement rallied around the fact that Jesus is alive. That Jesus is alive. In Revelation, he said it this way. This is Jesus speaking. He said, I am he who lives and was dead. I love that verse right there. Incidentally, this is why the difference maker in Christianity. Because all other world religions leaders are dead. Ours was dead. And now he says, but I am alive forevermore. And then he just amens himself. Come on, somebody. And as a preacher... As a preacher, I just love that because sometimes you just got to amen yourself because sometimes people aren't just taking the journey with you. They're just not going where you would like them to go. And so you just amen. Come on, that's good preaching. And I have, watch this, why should we amen this passage? I have the keys of Hades and of death. In other words, when Jesus rose from the grave, he took all the power and all the authority that the devil would ever have over your life away from him. That he says, now I have the power over life and death, the keys today and to reason we amen this passage is he holds the keys to all the death and all the hell that you and I would ever have to walk through. That he is Lord over it because he is alive. And then he said it again at Lazarus' tomb. Watch this. In John, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked her that question, do you believe this? We got to get back consistently to the fact that Jesus is alive and that the tomb is empty. Because we have made, because if we don't always remember Jesus is alive, always remember the power of God in our lives. Why? Because then the power of death has no hold over us. That death no longer has any sway over us in this life. Watch, he says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, then is your victory? Where, O oh grave, where, O oh death, is your sting? They've been swallowed up in the victory of Christ on the cross. That Jesus died, but then just as importantly, that he rose from the dead. And Paul is writing to Timothy, always remember, always remember that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Why is this important? Then it means that death no longer has a sting. Death no longer has a sway. New Testament Greek, death is separation. 
Death is separation from God. And so when it talks about the power of death in our lives, that power to divide us, to separate us, no longer has any sway. Because the Bible says then to die now, at the moment we are, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. That that moment is just a, it's a glorious celebration for a follower of Christ. That death no longer has a sting over us, has no longer has power or sway over our lives. We have no fear of it. Because it's something better that happens after we step through when we are in the presence of our Savior. That because Jesus was raised from the dead, because we remember that fact, that that is where this whole thing started, that Jesus was raised from the dead, death no longer has sway over us. That we get to see our maker face to face. We get to dance on streets of gold. It's going to be an incredible celebration when we step from this life to the next. It's an amazing thing when we get to meet Jesus face to face. And we are faced with this reality. That this life is the dream and eternity is the reality. And I think it's important to internalize that. I think sometimes we will say it and we will read it and we will just think of it. And then we will go and live our lives as though it is not true. We need to internalize this fact that this life is the dream. This life is the vapor. And eternity is the reality. Paul is writing to young Timothy. He says, if you're going to fan the flame, if you're going to stand in persecution, if you're going to finish the race, if you're going to do what God has called you to do, if you're going to use your giftings and your callings, you have to always remember Jesus raised from the dead. I think every day we ought to celebrate that fact that we serve a risen king. That in our lives we serve a risen king. And here's the reason, because when we lose our why, we lose our way. When we forget this, when we lose our why, when we forget that it is all about rallied around the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead, when we forget that, then we begin to turn church into something that it's not. When we forget why this thing, we forget where we came from, our origin of what makes this church. Every great family remembers how grandma and grandpa met. Every great organization remembers the problem they are called to solve. Every great church remembers that meeting of believers in a living room who had a heart to minister and to care for people. Every great thing that lasts remembers where it came from. And when we forget about why it is that we are followers of Christ, why the church exists to begin with, when we forget that it's because Jesus was raised from the dead, we turn church into a whole lot of things that it is not. Which unfortunately so many... Followers of Christ for thousands of years have gotten it wrong, gotten off track. We make it about our opinions and we make it about our own preferences. And we make it about our own personal theologies. And we make it about all of these different things instead of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. In fact, Paul later on in this letter, he talks about don't get caught up in stupid arguments. I don't get caught up in all these things and all these different arguments. about. He said, remember, always remember. Then later on, he tells Timothy, don't get weighted down. Don't get bogged down by all of these things that people try to do and they do it in these arguments and then Paul writes that by doing so we send the world that we are trying to reach straight to hell when we get ourselves get distracted from this idea that Jesus is raised from the dead always remember always remember the tomb is empty always remember why it is that we are here Paul didn't forget verse 8 he goes on to say always remember he was raised from the dead and watch this this is the good news that I preach. Paul said, I remember this is the good news. It's the good news of the gospel. Sharing the message of the gospel is why there is breath in our lungs. If the only reason for us existing is for our own personal salvation, our own personal relationship, and we would just then God could take us the moment we believe. It would just be amazing. Just go ahead and just, uh, what a church that would be. Come on, somebody. That would just be, we'd be, we'd make the papers. Come on, we'd be on the front page. What an incredible thing, though, that we are not here just for ourselves. 
but that we have a purpose God has for us on this earth. Watch, Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians. He wants to use us in the world. Paul said, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Watch this, no longer counting people's sins against them. I think we read these verses and we don't realize the magnitude of this. No longer counting our sins against us. Paul said, this is the gospel I preached. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. In fact, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That is our calling. That is why there is bread in our lungs. That is why God has us as his church in the world around us. That we are ambassadors of Christ. We're always remembering that Jesus is alive. And making this plea, come back to God. And we would ask ourselves then, how would a world that is lost know about Jesus? How would those who are far from God know to come back to him? How are people in our neighborhood going to know about heaven? How are people in our class and our classmates going to know about Jesus? How are the people in our world and our country, how are they going to know about the gospel and about the Lord? Unless we tell them. And it is easy to abdicate that responsibility to somebody else. It is easy to put it to the side and say, well, there must be a subsection of Christians that is out there telling people about Jesus. And I really hope they do a good job. I hope that one day we can applaud them in heaven. I hope they're telling everybody they know when he has given this responsibility to us. Always remember that Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead. That is the gospel Paul says that I preach. Always remember. And I think sometimes it's too easy for us to say, well, this isn't my season to share the gospel. I, I got, you know, real small kids at home. And so we're going through it. It's just not my season to share with someone. Or this isn't just my moment. I got to finish my degree and I got to get through and I got to get a good career going. I got to make sure that this is happening. It's not my season. One day it will be. Or maybe it was 20 years ago and I told people about Jesus. And I'm glad I did that. But now it's different. And Paul is writing to Timothy, always remember the gospel. Always remember, this is what we are called to do as a church. We are called to reach to others. And I just wanted to ask us, just, it's just us in here, all right? No one else is listening. Are we doing this? Are we doing what we're called? Are we ambassadors of Christ in every area that we walk into? In every conversation that we have? Because the responsibility God has given to us. We're representation of him telling people to come back to God. Imploring, pleading with people. To come back to God. Isn't that fascinating? This idea of there are people who are lost. And we're saying come back to God. Because listen to me. All of us are created in God's image. Every single person is made by God. Created by God. And just some of us are found. And some are still lost. But we are all made in God's image. It's just some are found. And some are lost. And God's heart is, is fascinating. God's heart is important. God's heart is taken by those who are lost. His heart is for those who are far from him. And we as his ambassadors should do no less. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to seek and save. And we are called to implore people, come back to God. Because there are some that have not yet found their way home. And we are saying, come home. It is our calling. So our message to the world, come back to God. He is your designer. He is your maker. He is the holder of everything that is missing from your life. He is the answer to the problems you are walking through. He is the one who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. Come back to God. That's what our call is as Christians, our message to the world. That's our purpose. It's why we exist as a church. And we need to get back to that reason. When is the last time we shared our faith? 
When's the last time we told someone about the gospel? Last time we invited somebody to church? When's the last time that we lived our life in a way that they would see Jesus shining through us? When's the last time we were, and I'm just preaching to myself today, but you get to listen, all right? That's just what this message is. Just convicting myself. When's the last time that we looked at the person across from us and actually realized that they have a soul that will last for all eternity, that eternity hangs in the balance? When's the last time? And so I don't want to get cliche with you or make you think like, well, this is just something that I got to do for homework. So let's just let's just as a church. I'm just calling us to remember the reason why we exist is because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And let's just as, as a church, let's say, OK, this week, one person. I'm going to ask you next week. We're going to have a little checkup on that. I'm going to ask you. And, and honestly, you don't have to answer to me because we are God's ambassador. You're not my ambassadors. I rise and fall before my maker and you do as well. But let's say this week, one person, one person that we tell about the gospel, that we don't abdicate it to somebody else, that we don't say, well, maybe I'll get them in a group and I'll tell them about it then. Maybe one person that we tell about the reason why we exist to begin with, that Jesus is alive. One person that we tell about the gospel. And you say, well, then what happened next week? One more person. Come on, somebody. It's going to be incredible. And then one more. I'm, I'm not saying let's move the world and let's let's lift everything on all shoulders because we are part of a movement of believers that believes that Jesus died and was raised again. But let's say in our responsibility. That God has called us to carry the gospel. How will our neighborhoods know? How will our coworkers and our classmates, how will they know unless we tell them? Paul said, remember that Jesus is alive. Remember that he was raised from the dead. Remember the reason that we exist Like, what would some of our conversations look like if we remembered our reason for existence? What would they look like? Like, what if if we if we found out that Jesus was coming back next week, we found out we only had a few more moments before this whole thing was wrapping up. How would our conversations change? Would we not plead with every person that we met? Would we not beg them to come back to God? Would we not if we just if we just had that moment left on this earth? Paul is reminding Timothy, don't make it about something that it's not. Don't waste your time arguing about things that it's not. He says, beg people, they beg them, come home to God, return. He said, don't make this about your own personal preference. Don't make it about the ministries that you need to feel comfortable. Don't make it where you demand your songs be sung and you have the special seat and these ministries that you need in order for the things you want to happen. Don't make it about all of that. He says, our calling is to reach the lost. Remember, always remember that hell is real, that heaven is real, and that people are going to hell because of their sins. But Jesus died in their place. Always remember. Remember the gospel. Remember that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that redeems us and saves us is available for them as well. The same power that redeemed us is available. Never think someone is too far gone. Never write someone off. Listen to me. Never put yourself on a pedestal. Because all the rest of us know you. We know you very well. We know what God has redeemed. And all of us know ourselves. And we have seen what God has done. Never shut the door in someone else's face. We are called. to. We are called. We are entrusted as ambassadors. We got to be passionate about it. Here's the problem though. He goes on in verse 9 of our text. He says, I preach this good news. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering. Come on somebody. And have been chained like a criminal. Make no mistake about, mistake about the fact that when you stand up for what is right, people will always shout you down trying to say what you're doing is wrong. 
Don't get it twisted in here. I'm not saying you've come to Christ and then the rest of life is so easy because you had that. No, no, no. When you stand up for what is right, there will always be opposition. Paul said, I, because I preach the good news, now I am in chains. When you try to make a difference in people's lives, devil is always there to resist you. In other words, there is a cost attached to your calling. We talked about stir up the gifts last week. The reason Paul is writing to Timothy, stir those up. There's always a cost. Paul said, I am chained because of preaching the gospel. Always a cost. There's always going to be the crowd you don't get to be a part of. Always the things you don't get to do because you are called to something different. Always going to be a cost that you have to pay. Opportunities that you think you missed out on because of this. Always going to be a cost. And Paul says in verse 9, because I preach this good news, I am suffering like a criminal. I am in chains. But then he reminds us, but the gospel, the word of God cannot be chained. Paul said, I know there's a cost to my calling. I know that this is what has happened. I know that I'm in chains right now, but the gospel cannot be chained. Nothing. Listen to me. We need to be reminded of that fact that no weapon formed against you will prosper. Nothing that tries to stand against what God is trying to do will come. Nothing can stop the gospel. Paul said, I know I'm in chains. I know the cost that has been personally delivered to me, but nothing can stop the work of God that I am trying to accomplish, that God is doing through my life. Nothing can stand against the word of God. Nothing can stop the gospel. So it doesn't matter what the devil tries to bring against your life. It doesn't matter what people try to do to stop you. Nothing will stop what God is doing and his gospel will go forward. His kingdom will come. His will will be done. Nothing stops the gospel and the kingdom being built. But there is a cost. So we're on the winning side, but there is a cost. And Paul said, I am in chains. But he's reminding us, he's saying, you can lock me in this prison. You can chain me up, but the gospel is going to go forward. I wonder how much the Lord was laughing when the devil put Paul in those chains. What about the devil was like, we got to shut this revivalist down. Like, this is too much. Church is being planted. People coming. This is the church is exploding. The guy I had killing Christians is now preaching the gospel. It's like, I got to, we got to put a stop to this. We got to put this guy in chains. Got him in Rome in prison and thought, ha ha, we got Paul. I just imagine God in heaven being like, aha, you got Paul writing two thirds of the New Testament while in those chains impacting millions and hundreds of millions of believers for the next thousands of years while you got him in prison in those chains. Oh yeah, you got Paul. Doing what God has called him to do. And I think we need to remind ourselves of the fact that God has called us to spread the gospel, to build his kingdom. And Jesus said it in the God. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I am building this thing. And I don't care what happens. I don't care what opposition comes. The gospel will continue to be preached. It cannot be chained. The kingdom of God will continue to go forward. The will of God will continue to be done. But there is a cost. There's a cost to following Christ. And I would just remind you, in, even in our area of the world, even in the, everything that has changed in the last decade, even all that has happened, the threshold for following Christ, the threshold of persecution is still fairly low. But there is still a cost for following Christ. There is still a cost for following him. Nothing that will prevail, though, against the kingdom. Verse on, he goes on in verse 10. He says, so I will endure anything. If it will bring about the salvation and eternal glory in Jesus Christ for those God has chosen. Paul's saying, I know there's a cost and I'll endure anything, whatever the cost. And I tell you, in our, I've, and I don't want to harp on this and get on my soapbox the third week in a row. But listen to me. The threshold probably is pretty low right now. And I don't know what the world will look like in 10 years. It'll probably look pretty different than it does now, just judging how it's changed 10 years ago to now. I don't know what all of that will hold, but all I know is as followers of Christ, we are prepared that there is a cost. 
There is a cost to following Christ. And it is nothing, nothing like what we would probably call persecution in our lives today. We've got to get over the fact that if it is or if it isn't, if it grows a hundred times worse or if it doesn't, if it's a thousand times, whatever it is, we've got to get over the fact and just realize there is a cost to following him. And Paul said, I will endure anything. Anything if it means the gospel goes forward. Anything if it means the kingdom is preached. So I'm saying, let's just ask ourselves, jot it down if you're taking notes, what am I willing to endure for the gospel? What am I willing? Because there is a cost associated with preaching. Always a cost socially with sharing your faith. A cost financially with sharing your faith. A cost relationally with talking about Jesus. Paul said, I'll endure anything. If I could just help people find no cost, I won't pay. Now, I want to back up in this chapter and show you how we got to this spot. Because there's three principles Paul walks us through in this chapter to get us to this idea of always remember. Always remember three principles that I want to share with them before we close. Three different characters that we can learn from that inspire us, no matter the cost. Inspire us of what we are called to do. Inspire us not to forget what the church is about. Because when you say yes to the calling, there are always chains. When you say yes, there's always resistance. And yet we cannot help ourselves, right? Because Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. And that's the gospel that we preach. So he says in verse 3, we're starting this chapter. He says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one, watch this, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So the first thing he compares us to is a soldier. First thing he begins to appear. Now, I don't know if you grew up in church. I don't know if you grew up in Sunday school. I grew up in Sunday school, everybody. And so I have known from a very young age, growing up in Sunday school, singing the songs, I have just known that I am in the Lord's army. Come on, somebody. I just understand. I may never march in the... Come on, people. Let's hear it. Infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. There we go. Come on, somebody. And so are you. That we are called to be soldiers in the Lord. He, Paul does not just pick words randomly. I hope you understand this about the Bible. He doesn't just pick some idea out of the thing. He's saying we are called as soldiers in the Lord's army. This is a real battle. And you are an enlisted soldier. Check out what he says. But no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. But the moment you put on that uniform... Listen to me, Memorial Day is tomorrow, right? Can we take just another moment and honor those who have given the ultimate sacrifice? Can we just honor those that have given, that? Can we, the ones who gave it, can we honor their sacrifice, the ones they have given all? But any military family who's present with you today will tell you that this is the truth, that knowing that when you are enlisted, when you are on tour, you are not concerned with civilian affairs. When you are on a tour, when you are doing your duty, you are not concerned. You love your family, you care about your family, you miss your family, but you are so focused on what you are called to do. You are focused on your marching orders, trying to please your commanding officer. Why? Because that is what, because in the military there is a protocol. There's a hierarchy and there is a rank. And you are giving your orders and based on you following those, sometimes hundreds or thousands of lives will depend on whether you follow the orders you've been given. And you cannot be caught up with civilian affairs. You miss your family, you love your family, but you are focused on pleasing your commanding officer. And Paul is writing and saying that you are soldiers 
in the army of God. And sometimes we get enlisted and then we get entangled in all of the wrong stuff. We put on the uniform and we forget what the marching orders are. We get tangled up again. Don't get entangled in civilian affairs. But try to please your commanding officer. Watch this in the next verse. He says, well, your commanding officer, who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Listen to me. I am not your commanding officer. All right, everybody. There's not this hierarchy where you answer to me and then I answer to God. No, no. You rise and fall before God yourself. That Jesus Christ is our commanding officer. And so we should live our lives in order to please him. In order to please him. Paul said, don't get entangled in civilian affairs. So the first thing we learn, jot it down if you're taking notes from the soldier, is the right perspective. We got to get the right perspective about what it is that we are doing here on planet earth. We got to get the right perspective. If we're going to endure hardships, if we're going to preach the gospel, we have to have the right perspective. That we are a soldier. And listen to me, civilian affairs would love to entangle us. Would love to. It's easy for us, in other words, to make life about something that it's not supposed to be. We've got to make sure we have the right perspective that we serve our maker. He is our designer. He is our creator. He is the lone holds the book of our lives. And we serve him. But it's easy. It's easy to make life about the bank account. It's easy to make life about the relationships. It's easy to make life about the clothes that we wear or the house that we buy. It's easy to make life about the things that our kids achieve. It's easy to get entangled making this life about us But it renders us ineffective in the call of God. Watch this. Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, he said, The seed fall among the thorns represents those who hear the message. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures and the civilian affairs of this life. All too quickly. And so they never grow into maturity. And so those people never grow. They may even be in church. They may even call themselves Christians, but they're obsessed with the things of the world. And so spiritual maturity doesn't take place because the focus is wrong. Philippians three eighteen, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I think we need to internalize in all of our lives. He says, I've often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on Civilian affairs on earthly things. But watch this. But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. I've taught you this before. Paul is writing to people who hold a citizenship they value very dearly. He's writing to people who hold their their citizenship with both hands cleansed. But Paul is saying all of those things that entangle us, all of those things that are civilian. Listen to me. He's saying, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. We eagerly await. We should have a different focus. We are soldiers in the army of the Lord. We should have a different perspective. It's great for us to live our lives. You need to love your family and your spouse. You need to serve others. And you need to use your giftings to impact the world. And we need to use our finances to be a blessing. It's great to play sports and to be out and doing things and involved. It's good to live your life. I just wonder how much of our heart all of that stuff has. And if I'm honest with myself, if I actually take a self-reflection sometimes, it scares the mess out of me. If we actually look at our lives, and I'm not asking you to stand in front of anybody else. I'm saying let's do some self-reflection. How much of our heart does it all have? Because when we get to heaven and we meet our maker face to face, when we meet, when we stand before God, before his throne, when we stand there and we meet him face to face, 
Are we confident that we lived our lives for that moment? That we lived our lives for that? Are we confident we can answer in that moment? Yeah, when he asks us, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? With the life that I gave you? What did you do with it all? Can we answer with confidence? When he asks us, how did you make an impact? Can we say, I made the biggest impact I possibly could? I did everything I could to spread the gospel. I did everything I could. When he asks us, what did you do with the life that I gave you? What did you do with the 17 years you spent at the soccer field or at the basketball gym or out at the softball field or the volleyball? What did you do with those times that you had? When you were there, did you talk about Jesus or did you cuss out a bunch of refs and look on Google for how they were definitely wrong? Come on, somebody. What did we do? What we do with the life he gave you. When we are living with this obsession that life is not about this life. That this is the dream and eternity is the reality. That the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. When we live with that obsession. Because at the end of the day that's all that really matters. But it's so easy to get obsessed about the wrong things. We are listed in an army. Enlisted. We have the uniform. We have signed up for this thing. And bullets are flying with the fate of humanity at risk. And there is an eternity to win. There's a heaven to gain. And there are souls waiting on the other side of our obedience. It is a real battle that we are enlisted in. And we have been called as ambassadors of Christ. And so Paul is writing, always remember. Always remember. He says in verse 5, similarly. Similarly. That's a tough word to say. Come on, somebody. That's just <laughs> similar. In the same way, anyone who competes as an athlete... Does not receive the victor's crown. Paul is writing. Except by competing according to the rules. Hello everybody. So the soldier teaches us the right perspective. And then the athlete he comes along. He says except by competing according. Like there are rules to this race that we are running. You cannot run the race just your own way. And expect it to end like you want it to end. He says as the athlete. So if the soldier teaches us the right perspective. The athlete teaches us we have to have the right plan. That this rule, there are rules to this race we are running. And you got to make it about heaven and not about earth. Yeah, that's the, the perspective. you got to make sure you're focused on eternity. But then when you run this race, you have to recognize that there are rules to the way you run. There's a crown waiting for you that there is, but you got to run the race the right way. Apostle Paul even said it about himself, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. And that is contrary to what the world will tell you. Say, I train my body to do what it should, not according to what it wants, not according to what feels good, not according to my own personal beliefs about it, what it should. I train my body. Otherwise, Paul said, I fear. There's a set of rules I live by. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I, Paul, myself might be disqualified. What a sobering thought that we could actually live our Christian lives preaching the gospel to others making a difference in the world around us and yet neglect areas of rebellion or disobedience in our own lives. And show up in heaven one day and realize we ran the race the wrong way. Disqualified. You see, God has a plan for our marriages. God has a plan for how to raise our kids. God has a plan for how we use our finances and the giftings we have. God has a plan on how to touch our emotions. God has a plan for our lives and a purpose for us. God has a plan for our lives. In fact, he has a plan for every area. And our job is to submit to his plan. It's not a popular thought in today's culture, but it's the truth. You don't get to do what you want, live how you want, have the morals that you want, do life how you want. Because God's word is the final authority. His will is the final authority. That's why he's God. Whether our opinions align with his or not, we still have to submit. 
And listen to me, I don't want any person in this church, I don't want anybody watching online. Far be it from us to look to our left or look to our right and think about this in terms of somebody else. We are called to look at our own lives. And so listen to me, when I say that we have to submit and I say you cannot run the race, don't think about anybody else right now. Whoever was in your mind, go ahead and put them out of it, all right? We are called to look at our own race. Paul said, far be it from me that I would run this race and at the end be disqualified. Self-reflection. That's why Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your pathways straight. God has a plan for our lives. In all your ways, submit. You understand submission is not submission until you actually have to submit. It's an easy thing to talk about until we actually have to submit where our opinion differs. Everybody loves the idea that God will bless me and God will give me advancement and opportunity and peace and joy. And we all love that, but then we don't want to love like Christ loved the church. We don't want to serve in our marriages sacrificially. We don't want to stand for truth in our world. We don't want to hold people accountable. We don't want to discipline our own bodies. And then we wonder why we don't have the blessing of God on our lives. I'll be your friend next week again. All right, everybody? I will. I promise. It's because athletes know I'm not going to get the prize unless I run the race according to the rules. In 1904, they held the Olympics in St. Louis. And it was a disaster, everybody, when they ran the marathon. Listen to me. It was terrible. Some of the people running the marathon in 1904 for the Olympics for a gold medal. Some of the people running had never run a marathon in their lives before. Come on, somebody. Like, that is bad. That is just dumb. That is what I told you a few years ago I wanted to run a marathon. Just came out of college. I was ready. I was going to do it. I set my, I was like, this year I'm going to run a marathon. And I did it, everybody, in just under eight months. Come on, somebody. I did it. <laughs> it was amazing. And I've never run since. It's incredible. <laughs> People showed up to this thing. People showed up with shoes, without shoes. People showed up. One guy got out of jail, took a car, went all the way to St. Louis and ran in this. People were running in this thing who had never run a marathon in their entire life. That's just stupid. That's what that is. That's just an idiotic thing. Got showed up to this. The organizers of the event decided they would do an experiment they called purposeful dehydration. They did an experiment on these runners, didn't give them water to see what would happen. Come on, somebody. So people were literally dying of internal bleeding because it was dusty and it was hot. And so they got out on this race. One runner, it wasn't in all cities. It was in a lot of country areas they had to run through. One runner was run off the course by a pack of wild dogs. You can go read about this. This is one of the most insane Olympic events that's ever been run. They ran through the city. They didn't clear the streets. And so trolley cars and people shopping. And like, imagine you're getting your groceries. And then like a marathon runner goes right past you. Like it just, they're running through Oak Point. They're just having this great time. All these runners out there going incredible. People are dying on the track. The lead runner looked around, saw the chaos around him and was like, I'm out. This is, I don't know what's happening. I'm going to run the race my own way. Found a car. Come on, somebody. In 1904. That's impossible. They didn't come affordable until 1908. Found a car took it to the finish line, got out, ran across the finish line, and they awarded him the gold medal. Because apparently the organizers were too stupid to do basic math and realize there's no way you're here this fast, right? Like there's no way you've arrived. But like all sin, it came out. Right before they hung the medal on his neck, it came out what he had done, and he was disqualified from the race. And they gave it to the next guy. Why? 
Because you cannot run God's race your own way and expect to receive a prize. You have to run it his way. You have to follow the rules God has set down. That his word is the final authority. We've got to submit to his plan. You cannot run the race your own way. You cannot make up the rules you want. We have to submit to his plans and to his purpose. And to his will. We have to submit. The athlete says, hey, you've got to have the right plan. Can't be tied up in civilian affairs. The soldier says, so go ahead. Chop up your Bible. To make it say what you want it to say. Come up with your own personal theology to pacify your pain or to allow for a sin in your life. I'm just here to tell you today that if you bend all of God's rules, you may be at risk of being disqualified. It says the athlete tells us we got to have the right plan. And I'd hate for you to run this race to get to heaven to figure out that you actually weren't God. That he actually had a plan and a will for your life. That he actually had rules to live by. Got to get the right perspective, the soldier said. Got to have the right plan. Things I cannot do, the athlete says. There are things I cannot do because I want to run this race and win a prize. The hardworking farmer is the last one. Verse 6, he says, the farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. The farmer reminds us of our purpose. That we are not running a race and living this life even for our own plans and purposes. There is a prize for us in heaven. Got to have the right perspective. Got to have the right plan. You got to have the right purpose. The farmer's reminding us there is a prize. Paul wrote this. He said, don't you realize in a race that everybody runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And so Paul says, so I run with purpose in every step. Right perspective, the right plan, but you got to have the right purpose. This is the purpose for which we're alive. We're here to make a difference. We're here to share the love of Jesus. We're here to make a difference with the right perspective and the right plan. And then to have the right purpose that there is a prize set ahead. But you got to run the race the right way. And you say, Ben, when we're reading through these and not just chapter one, but chapter two, I'm it's a little overwhelming. If we read this with self-reflection, if we're actually honest with ourselves about where we are in the race, if we're actually honest with ourselves about where we are in this whole thing of being ambassadors, it's a little overwhelming. You might be saying, Ben, well, I just, I don't think I can do everything that Paul is writing to Timothy. So I want to back up one more time and show you how Paul starts the chapter. Because he starts chapter two. It's why in verse one, he says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace of be strong through the grace. Not, don't be strong under your own strength and ability. Don't think you're doing this life alone. We were never called to do this alone. Never called to do it under our own strength and our own power. Listen, you will not get far at all. And those of you that have tried to do it, your own strength, your own power, your own intelligence, you realize you have crashed and burned how many times? But he says, no, my dear son, Timothy, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. There's a grace that saves us. God has never called us to live this life alone. There's a grace that saves us. There's a grace that redeems us. And there's a grace that empowers us to live the life he's called us to live, to be the people he has called us to be, to make the difference he has called us to make. Every head bowed, every eye is closed today. I'm calling us to remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. 
As a church, this is the gospel we are called to reach. You and I have the message to share this. And so right now as we pray, right now as we have focus on our own lives, that we see whether we rise or fall before our maker. That not a single one of us would use this message or these verses as a chance to judge others, but we would see in our own lives what God is calling us to. So I want to pray that God would strengthen us. By His grace, by His Holy Spirit, that God would lift us up, that we would be able to run the race. Submitting to His will, even when our opinions differ, submitting to His will. Before I pray that, though, maybe some are here today. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're listening later, wherever you are. If you hear the sound of my voice, maybe right now you're realizing that you're not following Christ. Maybe at some point in the message you're realizing that you're not running the race. Because you haven't actually submitted to Him. Maybe you've even preached the gospel to others, but you've never actually surrendered yourself. And maybe right now, this is your moment. And I just... I don't sugarcoat it. I don't say, do this and everything is happy. right? No, Jesus promised there would be troubles. But listen to me. You surrender your life in this moment. And God has promised he'll make you brand new. And I don't care what anybody else has ever told you. I don't care about all the things that they've tried to do to you. Listen to me. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he wants you. So if I can echo the words of Paul, I am just begging with you to come home. Come back to God. Come back to him. That he's waiting for you. God's not mad at you. He's not looking to punish you. He's not trying to, he's not going to try to, to judge you in this moment. Right now he is calling out in forgiveness. There is a chance for you to be forgiven. A chance for you to be set free. right now in this moment our church has dedicated ourselves we will pray a prayer of surrender with every person who wants to pray this is why we are here church we are here to share the gospel we are here to tell others that Jesus died for them and listen to me if that's you today you say I want to repent of my sins I want to follow Jesus I've been running this race the wrong way I want to submit if that's you today I want to pray this prayer with you before we go Every head bowed, church, right now, we pray this with them. Nobody prays alone. Right now, say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray over all of our church, God, this week. Lord, as we continue to remember the reason why we are here, that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, I pray for your grace and your strength to run this race. Holy Spirit, we pray you would empower us to do what you've called us to do, to step into our giftings, to remember the reason why we exist, and to reach others for the kingdom of God. I pray right now, God, that you would let the gospel burn in our hearts, that we would have to share with every soul we meet. That our lives would be an example to others. They would see us as we follow Christ. That we would rise and fall by our master. That we would stand as a soldier. 
with the right perspective, as an athlete, God, with the right plan, Lord, and as a farmer, knowing our purpose, knowing what we are called to do. Give us the grace we need to run this race. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today?